Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 23. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation, as we get ready for Week 2 of the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles, the other Keystone State team, winning over the Minnesota Vikings last night on Thursday Night Football. Pittsburgh, of course, will have to wait until Monday night to take on the Cleveland Browns at Acrisure Stadium, Pittsburgh 0-1, Cleveland 1-0. Dave, a little bit different Friday show. Won't go into a full Browns preview and make our picks. That'll happen for Monday's show, but still plenty for us to discuss. How you doing? Yeah, look, uh, full uh, slate of football watching on the slate uh, this kind of next few days. Obviously, with college football on Saturday, and we get to sit around and watch uh uh, as many games as possible on Sunday with the Steelers playing on Monday night. Uh, it feels good to be out, <laughs> out of the Steelers 49ers <laughs> all 22 tape now and have started. Uh, I've made it through, I don't know, about uh, three quarters of the offensive tape of the Browns from the Bengals game and a little bit of the defense here and there. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have some different film uh, to look at uh, for sure here, but uh, definitely uh, uh, an interesting week coming up for the, for the Steelers, uh, you know, not only zero and one at this point, but, uh, oh, and one and facing a one and oh Browns team that had an impressive win over the Bengals, uh, last week in week one. And, uh, the Steelers going to be without a couple of players as we we've kind of already figured as well. Yeah. We'll lead off that, uh, with that news here, Dave, uh, just before that one thing we'll keep for our normal Friday show. We'll talk to a Browns beat writer, our friend, Scott Petrack of the Chronicle Telegram, Medina Gazette and brownzone.com. So we'll have a conversation with him in a little bit to get his perspective on the Browns big week one win and the week two matchup against Pittsburgh. But Dave, you're right. Let's jump right on into the flurry of roster moves to Pittsburgh made yesterday. Most notably, although it was entirely expected, Cam Hayward officially going to injured reserve, meaning he's going to miss at least the next month, although we expect it to be closer to two months and probably a return uh, around Thanksgiving would probably be the timeline on him. Eight weeks, he had a surgery officially on Thursday, replacing him on the 53-man roster. was wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick. He was called up from the practice squad. He had a good summer, especially on special teams. And with Deontay Johnson, uh, injured and unlikely to play in this one, Fitzpatrick, and hope it potentially fill that void as well. Some practice squad moves, bringing back cornerback Luke Barku and running back Greg Bell, releasing uh, veteran cornerback Anthony Brown, the former Cowboy, and placing Josiah Scott on the practice squad injured list. And then one additional move on Friday morning, they signed cornerback Kalen Barnes to the practice squad, who they worked out, I believe, earlier this week or last week help replace uh, Brown and Scott no longer being part of the uh, the team, uh, Scott, on uh, that practice squad injured list. So a bunch of moves there, a lot of practice squad stuff, but the big 53-man roster moves right now, Hayward, 2IR, Des Fitzpatrick promoted from the practice squad to the 53-man roster. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting now with uh, Fitzpatrick on the 53-man roster. What does this mean as far as game day helmets go? Uh, Fitzpatrick, uh, I think we noted during the preseason, did some nice things and really stuck out on special teams there uh, as well. So uh, with Deontay Johnson obviously going to be sidelined with that hamstring injury on Monday night, uh, do you dress, uh, you know, all wide receivers or do you uh, put, uh, because Fitzpatrick probably has a little bit more special teams uh, worthiness than, than, than Gunnar Olszewski, does Gunnar uh, remain an, 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 an inactive player uh, this week? So that'll be something to look for uh, this week. And I guess really the only other thing to maybe kind of look for is what happens Monday afternoon. Do they, mm -hmm. uh, do they elevate Braden Fajoko uh, to the active inactive roster uh, on Monday afternoon and then put him in a helmet uh, for that game uh, Monday night? And in turn, does that mean like somebody like Armand Watts uh, does not dress? So they, I, I think really the only mystery at this point, well, there's really, I think, three mysteries. Uh, uh, who is the wide receiver that's inactive? Uh, who is, or do they uh, promote uh, Braden Fajoko and dress him uh, on Monday night and sit down a guy like uh, maybe Armand Watts? And then the other question would be, I think, uh, who gets the helmet over, say, Chandon Sullivan and Desmond King? Yeah, those are good questions all around. Um, I don't know where they're going to go for all those things. Again, you know, to bring up and elevate somebody like Fahoko would make sense, given, given the run-heavy nature and run-capable nature of the Browns rushing for over 200 yards against Cincinnati in week number one, but we'll have to see there. Yeah, with the wide receivers, I mean, you call it Fitzpatrick, you know, Deontay's not going to, I mean, could they all be active and just not Deontay if he doesn't go to IR? Is that a potential avenue? Well, I guess, uh, I mean, uh, they, they net, it's not like one of them went to IR and they already had six, six, uh, wide receivers on the roster. So they have seven now. So it, uh, who, you know, what other position, you know, what other position goes inactive? Cause you got to at least, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, based on, you know, depending on what happens with Fajoko, you're going to have to have either five or six inactives for this game. So, you know, we already know Mason Rudolph, probably Dylan Cook, uh, Deontay Johnson. That's three right there that, that, that are likely to be inactive. So where do you, you know, who are your other two or three in the case of Fajoko being elevated? Yeah. You think a corner would be a four and the fifth might be harder to determine. Right. So, yeah, all good questions there, but Fitzpatrick getting the call up. He's got a little bit of NFL experience, too. Won't be his first rodeo uh, inside a game that counts. But he's probably he probably more position versatile than than Gunner, too. And and look, I mean, I, Gunner gives you a lot of effort in the blocking uh, aspect, but you'd, pre, you'd probably, probably want uh, Fitzpatrick out there, you know? Maybe. I mean, I think Gunner can wear a ton of hats, you know, backup return guy. And I think he can play inside and, and even play outside in a pinch. I don't know how much inside, you know, slot capable Fitzpatrick can be, but, but we'll see. And, you know, Miles Boykin was reportedly in a boot earlier this week, but he's not on the injury report. And so I expect him to be able to, to play in this one, but it's probably a good time to segue into the injury situation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their first injury report came out Thursday because of the Monday night game. And so we're working with less information than we usually would be um on a uh on a, on a friday episode of the show but 
uh, two players not practicing yesterday in wide receiver Deontay Johnson with the hamstring that was, of course, expected. And also running back Anthony McFarland not practicing due to a knee injury, which was a, a new development there. So Johnson did speak with reporters, which was interesting in itself. Usually the injured guys don't talk with reporters. He said he's feeling better, making some progress, but does not have a timetable for his return. Very, very unlikely he's going to play at least Monday night, and we'll just check what week three could bring against the Raiders. And then McFarland um, not practicing as well. A couple of players limited. Shakuma Korfor continuing to go through concussion protocol. James Daniels, Pat Frymuth, Larry Ogunjobi also limited with injuries um, that were mostly sustained in that uh, opener against the 49ers. Yeah, we'll see how the uh, limited uh, list uh, shakes out there. But I, I think really the only questionable one at this point is maybe a core four and, and and getting him through the rest of the concussion protocol. It'll be interesting to see uh, if he if he remains uh, limited on Friday. And then obviously they'll have an injury report on, 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 on Saturday as well, too, uh, this week here. So uh, to me, the, the one to watch here is Chikoma core four. And obviously, if he can't play, then he would be inactive. And mm -hmm. then Dylan Cook would dress and then... I don't know. Based on some of the practice reports that are out there, uh, Broderick Jones has been working at right tackle. So uh, you could potentially see Dan Moore at left tackle, uh, Broderick Jones at at, at, at right tackle, which Aquama Corford can't go. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. It's a subject of my terrible take today. I mean, you know, maybe they're confident a core four is going to be cleared and play in this one. But with concussions and concussion protocol, there really is no absolute or guarantee you can move moving along along fine and then you you know you have exertion and then you have a setback and more symptoms pop up you just it's unpredictable so you don't know and and we we knew this backup right tackle spot was kind of messy you know despite all the added depth and the better look of the offensive line which it absolutely was and still is but who was that backup right tackle and when a core four went down for the final four plays of week one dan moore shifted over to right tackle and jones came in a left tackle now it sounds like Jones is getting most of the reps at, at right tackle, and he's a guy that has not played right tackle hardly at all. You know, a little bit of Georgia has not taken a snap there in Pittsburgh until apparently this week. Um, and so, you know, you want your first start to be against the Browns tough front at right tackle Monday night. Not ideal, but there really is no ideal situation right now. Right. And back to Johnson, the fact that they did not place him on IR is is uh as encouraged as you can be about not having a guy like that. Uh, the fact that they did not place him on IR uh, means that they don't think it's uh, something that'll cause him to miss four, at least four games in total. Now, those things are obviously tricky and all. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they won't rush him back, but, you know, he's obviously going to miss Monday night. And then you got, you know, another short week after that. So I'm, I'm thinking at least probably two games that Deontay's going to miss, and then we'll see mm -hmm. what happens in the third one. Yeah, that's a fair point there. I think, again, him even just speaking to the media was surprising and maybe a small piece of encouraging news that they don't think this is going to be some sort of IR situation, as you said, or, you know, long, long, you know, three, four weeks kind of deal. Uh, one other uh, procedural note here, Pittsburgh working up punter Brad Wing oh. yesterday. That's a name we haven't heard in a long, long time. And so he was with Pittsburgh. I forget the years, but it was, I don't know, five plus years ago. And I thought of Joe Clark made a good point. Um, Probably the reason for this, I know the, the first thought, and it was my thought too about Presley Harbin and his per, poor performance in week one and Tomlin calling out the punting unit in week one, which was certainly junior varsity to steal the Tomlin uh, quote there. But uh, because the Browns punter is left-footed, and I believe Wing is a left-footed punter as well, they typically bring in a lefty 
during the week of practice to, to help the punt returners just, you know, be able to get the feel for the spin of the football. It's a bit different with the left footers than it is with your traditional right footed punter. So that's probably the reason why. That's a good wings, point. That's yeah, a good that, observation. Yeah, that was uh, that was Joe Clark. So kudos because they, they've done this before. And, and so that's also probably why you saw him come in yesterday as opposed to the traditional Tuesday workout day because they don't practice on Tuesdays. So they don't bring in a left footed punter because there's no one to, to punt to. So that may be the reason, but of course, Harvin needs to step it up uh, pretty quickly here because that was not a good outing in week one. Right. So there's uh, there, there there could be layers to this, but that's a good observation by Joe Clark. Yeah. So just want to uh, make a note of that. Um, all right. Where to now, Dave? Uh, covered the injuries for Cleveland. They had eight guys not practicing on Thursday. Half of them were due to rest with Miles Garrett, Amari Cooper, Joel Petonio, and somebody else I'm forgetting right now. Uh, probably the biggest names to watch, and we talk about it with Scott a little bit later in the show, is Juan Thornhill. Their safety signed over in the offseason. He missed week one with a calf injury, did not practice yesterday, status uncertain for Monday night, but the Browns defense seemed to hold their own without him against the Bengals. All right, uh, we'll see how that plays out the rest of the week. I think they're going to be a fairly, uh, the Browns are going to be a fairly healthy team overall. I mean, obviously they lost Jack Conklin and that's huge. And, you know, I would, uh, we, we talk a lot with uh, Scott Petrak about uh, day one Jones going to be making his first NFL start and uh, how that's going to be about uh, against TJ Watt. And uh, day one had some interesting comments about <laughs> uh, what he views as maybe a potential weakness with, uh, with TJ Watt. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Good, good, good luck with that. That should be an interesting matchup to watch here. Uh, shall we talk about the coordinators? Yeah, let's get into the coordinators speaking as they do every Thursday, Matt Canada and Terrell Austin. And off the top, but I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be hypercritical, but the takeaway from, from both of these guys, and they literally said it is, they're surprised about how poorly their units played and they don't really know why they played that poorly. It didn't inspire a lot of confidence. And I understand what are they supposed to say and I've told people this as well. You can have the best coordinator press conference ever. And if your unit sucks on game day, nobody cares. And vice versa, you can be the worst interview ever. And if your unit gets a job done on game day, then I'll take that, you know, 10 times out of 10. But I, I didn't love the answers, but obviously everything just matters. What matters now, I should say, is just fixing it for Monday night. And as usual, Matt Canada didn't give us much really to chew on and to, to contextualize Contextual, uh, uh, <laughs> say it for me. Contextualize, I think. Is yeah, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main takeaway from that was how aggressive, <laughs> how aggressive Matt. Hey, he opened up with an opening statement, yeah. uh, and, and a long one at that. And B, uh, it seemed like he had a couple of my monster drinks and a shot of uh, tequila before. Uh, <laughs> Uh, before uh, 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 delivering his press, it it was a it was a more aggressive. You know, it wasn't a passive. It was passive tone with him. Like, all right, let's you know, let's. I'm gonna give you the the. Uh, he still gave us the same usual cliche kind of stuff, but it was more in a an aggressive uh, manner there. And I, you know, you want to talk about big takeaways? I think you hit on one. You know, they they were surprised. He said Kenny, you know, Kenny wasn't on his game, and Kenny will tell you that. And and but uh, you know, nobody, nothing. Uh, you know, nobody played well overall there. Uh, he says, uh, but you know, that will improve, you know, things will be better, you know, he says. And uh, I think the other kind of notable thing, which really isn't notable talking about the wide receivers with Deontay, uh, uh, out, 
that uh, be more of a by by committee approach. And we already talked about uh, Des Fitzpatrick, and we'll see if he figures into that uh, committee approach uh, at 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 all. Uh, what other takeaways were there that that were? You know, he said he said there's no concern that it's going to continue in terms of the struggles of the offense. That was a pretty, you know, I mean, again, what are you going to say that you're deeply concerned? But a pretty bold statement to say that, you know, basically calling week one a one off. They're not going to repeat those mistakes. They're going to be fixed for week two. Yeah, my favorite phrase. Don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the baby. And boy, that uh, coming out and you did a fantastic uh, breakdown on how boring. uh Again, uh, that offense was coming out of uh, week one there. Uh, and look, and, 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 you know, Canada went out of his way. So, you know, you, you get behind like you are and it kind of sure. limits, uh, limits this, this, that, and the other. Okay. But I mean, you can't open things up a little bit more when you're down, uh, the way you are. Look, they, they're wor- without a doubt. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Pickett did not play well. Kenny Pickett missed some throws in this game that could have potentially been. I mean, look that 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 early dig to Deontay we talked about the other day. That that might be six in the end zone if he hits that. Uh, mm-hmm. There was uh, you know obviously uh, the uh, the slant to to Deontay, which they ended up scoring on that drive. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you other, uh, other things in that game, you know, the one of, uh, how many times did they run bunch switch routes in this game? The once, maybe twice. Yeah, probably once or twice. All right. And if they had got be- uh, uh, solid protection on that play, maybe that's all. Uh, big gainer, uh, game, game, game changing kind of play to uh, Calvin Austin, who came open uh, uh, on the over route there. Uh, later on in the game, uh, Kenny Pickett turned down a cover two hole shot, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to Pickens there. Uh, he left plays. Uh, Kenny Kenny left plays out there on the field, but in a as a whole, how many opportunities were there? for Kenny to deliver big play. I mean, that did you go back and watch that third and 20 uh, call? Uh, yeah, the all the curls, yeah. Yeah, all set I mean, down, yeah. what exactly are you trying to do there? I mean, I, I understand it's third and 20, all right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's not too many things in the playbook that will, uh, uh, you know, that, that you call in that situation there. But damn it, either let Kenny punt on third and 20 or run a damn draw, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and get the hell off the field. Or how about a quick slant within that situation? At least give your guy an opportunity to, to pick up. Uh, if obviously a first down is, is, is improbable, but maybe you get six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve 12 more yards in your, and, 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 you know, you help your punter out a little bit right. in those situations there. So, um, I think you did a great job of breaking it down and all the, you know, the, te- the terror concepts and, and, and the mirrored concepts that they ran. And then the other stuff, uh, you know, just really, really vanilla kind of stuff. And they didn't, they didn't put themselves in a situation to deliver to, to give Kenny even more opportunities to make an explosive play. And you come out of this game with what two explosive plays overall, uh, you date back to, Canada's first uh, year as an offensive coordinator here. This team is is 
near, you know, near the bottom. I think only like two or three teams have less explosive plays on offense than the Steelers do during that span. Not only that, you look at the average yards of those of those explosive plays. I mean, it's one thing if you're getting 60 or 70 yard plays mixed in there for some touchdowns, but they're not. Their their average of the explosive plays since Matt Canada has been offensive coordinator is down near at the bottom of the league as well, too. So uh not nothing has changed here and Matt Canada is telling us that it'll get better. And and that's to me the frustrating part. This isn't a one-off thing where things have been going fine and we didn't have these issues about kind of the very limited play sheet of this offense in past years. I, again, I try to be really fair and give grace. I know when you're down and you're playing from behind, you can't your playbook is not unlimited. You can't run the stuff that you hope that you would run, and it's harder to build constraint plays in your play-action game. And, of course, the run game is essentially no longer there. So it does certainly limit you in a, in a ton of ways. But it just I was just venting kind of my frustration watching this offense and just kind of seeing the same three or four concepts, you know, two-by-two two this, three-by-one that. And I loved, and when I say loved, I mean I hated the stat that you had, 51 dropbacks and 51 curls. I mean, that is... This is not what you're looking for. Yeah, it'd be be fun to kind of track that. Now, look, a lot of route <laughs> fun, fun is a, a yeah. loose term there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, look, a lot of a lot of your concepts are going to have curls in them, right? Sure. But and they ran a lot of zone. I understand why they ran the calls they did because San Francisco was very zone heavy in this game, right? So, I mean, th- that needs context to some degree because a curl is a a popular. Uh, uh, part of a lot of uh, 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 a lot of uh, uh, route combinations and all like that, but th- with the looking back at the game flow and uh, down as quick as you need, did you did do you really need as many curls? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, within within that. And how many times did you see like on that third and twenty and, and many other examples, just two by two meter? Right. They all just sat down five ten yards and they just tried to sit i mean it just it's all the concept was it's all curls you all sit down and pick it has to try to find you know the window right right it, it, it was it was frustrating in a vacuum to look back at those numbers to look at the game flow and all like that then once again you only see you know uh, I think uh, sport, uh, the other day we left the podcast saying there was just one slant route, I think, in total ran. I think uh, SIS, Sports Info's uh, Solutions, which, by the way, is fantastic if you can afford the mm-hmm. uh, uh, subscription to it. So I, I don't think we give those guys enough credit as a source. Uh, it is pricey. But, uh, man, you can drill a lot of stuff down and then you pair that with our charting that the, uh, that you and the great Tom Mead uh, does. It, it, it gives you a lot of situational type stuff. But three slant routes in total in this game and only once that was targeted. And that was obviously to Deontay Johnson, which uh, Kenny was off target on. Uh, I... One or two uh, 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 bunch routes that you run switch switch uh, combinations out of. You know they they need to vary this stuff up, man. Uh, they they really do, and I don't have confidence that they will. Three slants. When's the parade? We thought it was one. We got triple that, so that's something. Uh, no, and, one and again, of them was to Washington, by the way. Right, and these are just routes run. These are not right. targets, right? These right, are just right. literal routes run by the receivers. And granted, they ran some crossers and stuff that don't get categorized as slants that are you know a different type of in-breaking route. And and again, this is both. And I had a separate article where I wrote about the offense's unforced errors. And that's not on Matt Canada. Whether it's the you know miss should be touchdown to Deontay, 
There was the one play we talked about where Allen Robinson should have sat down. It was his third and four. He tries to run across and, you know, the pass is behind. That's on Robinson. They have to punt because of that. Not getting hats on linebackers in the run game. You know, those, so again, this is not exclusively on Matt Canada. And when you're down early and your playbook and your game plans kind of toss out the window, it's a tough spot to be in as a play caller, but it just, it, it's everything that, that was happening last year that continued in, in that 49ers game. And you just hope it changes for the Browns game Monday night. And obviously he was asked about because a couple of players said, yeah, we had success in tempo and all like that. I mean, uh, sh- uh, you know, the takeaway that, that, that a lot of the fan base has at this point, and it's understandable is, well, let's run more tempo, but in that same breath, if you're, if that tempo doesn't deliver the results that you need. You're just getting off the field even faster. Uh, the the defense won't enjoy that, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, within that. I mean, look, uh, could could this offense could this offense come out Monday night and start with tempo to get 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 into a groove? Yeah, that probably would not be a bad uh uh uh, uh you know bad suggestion uh, overall. But you can't run tempo. I mean, you can't uh, Kelly this right. Oh, Chip Kelly, this. No, right. you can't do that. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, tempo's fine. It has its time and place. I think it's, you know, like dessert. You have it every now and then. You have too much of it. It's going to make yourself sick. But uh, I, I don't blame them for not using tempo in this game because they couldn't, they couldn't get a first down. They couldn't sustain a drive. They went three and out on their first five possessions. So you can't have, te- you know, if you have tempo, you got to get a first down, get some positive yards, incompletions and runs for zero yards don't in, uh, facilitate tempo. So I'm not, I'm not mad at Matt Canada uh, for for not running tempo in that game. Besides the two minute drive, that of course produced the only points of the game. How about having a you know you have a script for your opening drive? How about having a script if you're down twenty <laughs> twenty <laughs> points? Well, you well know? hopefully not because I don't want the team to be down twenty points well, as much as uh, as they have been. Yeah, but uh, be prepared, right? You know. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's you know there's just calls. You know, you have your down distance. You have your you know plays for a second and long and third and short and high red zone, low red zones. I mean, that, and I mean, that's Lord their, knows their he sticks sheet. with it. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like there's very few plays in those situations because it just feels like they're running the same three things over and over again. All right, uh, got anything else to beat Matt Canada up over the head with? <laughs> nah, we'll. Uh, I'm gonna we'll call stop him Cur- call him Curly Canada. Oh, I do have my, I forgot to tell you, I was going to tell you my, uh, oh, this is yeah. very cheesy, my my uh, nickname for the Steelers offense. It's very dumb. This is not uh, supposed to be me uh, impressive, but I call this poop. the poop. <laughs> the poop. Yeah, we'll call it the poop offense. No, this is the, the chlorophyll offense because oh. more like borophyll. Oh. Adam Sandler. Yeah, that was my, that's what's in my head every single time that I watch this offense is Adam Sandler. Is that Billy Madison, right? Yelling borophyll. All right. So that's that's why they pay me the big bucks over here, Dave, for insights like that. Let's flip over to Terrell Austin, what he had to say. Not a whole lot from him, to be honest with you. Of course, said by committee approach in terms of replacing Cam Hayward. We already knew that not you know, one man alone cannot do that. Thought maybe the most interesting thing, and it was a very brief comment, but someone asked about, you know, could Joey Porter's role expand? He's been the dime corner right now, only seven snaps against San Francisco in Austin essentially saying we like where he's at right now and very much implying that that role is not expected to expand. So in other words, if you've bought a Joey Porter Jr. jersey and you're going to the game Monday night and you're looking forward to Joey Porter playing a large amount of snaps, then you better hope that this uh, defense can get the Browns into a lot of third and long situations or second and long situations. 
Yeah, uh, that's Porter's game plan. And honestly, I, I think it's fine. I, I, I think I mentioned this on Wednesday's show before Austin even said anything. I don't think Porter's ready for that expanded role right now. Could it come later in the year? Absolutely. But I think dime packages to begin the year is A-OK for him. All right, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick in the box. Put, yeah, talked about put, that put, as well. Putting me. Minka in a box. Nobody puts Minka in the corner except for <laughs> the Steelers in this game. And, and yeah, I mentioned this on Monday um, that, you know, he was using the box a lot and our charting validates that I think 25 times of the 60 or so snaps in this game. And it's not the reason why they lost. And, you know, you could point to their run game and matching up on George Kittle and this one as reasons for it. Um, I, I tried to, you know, I was going to potentially write an article. I tried to see some of the numbers of how successful the defense was him in the box versus not in the box. And they really were about the same. So there probably wasn't enough to, to dedicate a full article to it. I just would make the point that I don't believe this, this defense functions as well overall when Minka's not playing that free safety position. And it doesn't mean he's glued, you know, Greg Williams style, 30 yards deep, but when he's a free safety and can rotate down and be that last line of defense in the run game, that's when he and this defense seems to be at their best. Whenever he's in the box or over slot, so many examples of that over the years. And it's the reason why he won it out of Miami in the first place, that it's just not his game. The defense does not seem to do as well when Minka's not in Minka's spot. And George Kittle talked, I think, yesterday saying that, uh, you know, the reason probably he wasn't so productive is because they had Minka follow him around. I think it was that, but also they just chipped because he was chipping the whole game. I mean, he was barely part of the core concept. So, you know, he's, he's chipping Watt and then going out there was kind of a safety valve. So that was kind of my thought to why he was so unproductive in that game. All right. What else from Austin? That was kind of probably about it. Um, talked about Keanu Benton, impressed by him. Um, and that's one of the, the few bright spots of this week one game. Uh, about the uh, inside line, it doesn't sound like uh, we are going to see uh... – Mark Robinson yet. Uh, he says um, he, his take on the inside linebackers play was my take. I think uh, like anybody, there's really nothing to talk about. That was really good last week, but I was encouraged by their physicality encouraged in terms of the way they came downhill and did some things, but there's always things that we have to do better, but I'm encouraged uh, by that group. He was asked, uh, so you're not going to step Mark Robinson into that uh, at all in any way. And his answer was, I am encouraged by the guys we have playing right now. So don't, you know, uh, don't expect to wear your Mark Robinson Jersey and see him out there a lot on defense. Yeah. The Porter and the Robinson Jersey is not in a great place right now. And again, I'm not surprised, but it, it is one week and this team's not going to overreact and start making a bunch of changes, some small tweaks. And obviously the Hayward injury impacts, you know, quite a bit. And that's going to necess- uh, necessitate, you know, quite a bit of change there, but it is one week. And so they're not going to, you know, fire everybody and change everything after just one game or, or throughout the season either. Oh yeah. Or maybe that, <laughs> although throughout the year, I mean, you know, you may see some changes there. Uh, what else, Dave, anything else from anything else players have said, I'm trying to think about um, anything notable, you know, from the uh, actual players yesterday. Uh, just the fact that you get the sense that 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 they agree that the hurry up, you know, that uh, the up tempo stuff was working, but we are we've already addressed that. That yeah, we might see an up uptick in it, but it's not something that you can do every series. And they, yeah, they better they, they better get some first downs if they run it. They did talk about some of the communication issues and and growing pains of that, and so hopefully that gets worked through sooner than later. Um, do want to mention here, and we've spent. A, 
probably more time talking about him than I expected, but there's been a lot of good commentary about it just to kind of touch on Cleveland here. And then we'll kind of get maybe Scott Petrak here in a, in a second, but they Jones. Does he see the flaw in TJ Watt? Does he, does he see the, the kryptonite? And it was just, he, he praised Watt a lot overall. So I'm not trying to pretend like he was calling TJ Watt out. This is not a, uh, you know, Deion Sanders, you know, give them bulletin board material type stuff, but, but made the, the mention of, Watt leaving his chest open a little bit in, in day one Jones with those long 36 and three eighths inch arms uh, may try to take advantage of that. So something to watch for in this one, especially that matchup just overall, the rookie day one Jones on TJ Watt. Not that TJ Watt needs extra motivation whatsoever uh, uh, to go along with his uh, preparation and all like that, but I, I bet he does not miss that quote. Uh, these next several days, I think uh, we've highlighted it on the site. I, you know, uh, these guys, these guys, like it or not, they they read some of some of this stuff that's out there. Uh, uh, Daywan Jones seems to think that his length will come into play uh, into this one, and the I think one of the funniest things is he's talking that well, they're probably going to have T.J. Watt uh, 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 rushing against me so much because I'm a rookie. No, they're going to have <laughs> T.J. Watt rushing against you because you play right tackle, and that's the side that T.J. Watt plays on. So it that alone kind of makes me wonder how deep has Daywan gone into the tape? <laughs> because uh, if he if he watched if he did the 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 uh, three tape uh, scan of what T.J. Watt does, he will notice. Man, he sure does line up on the, on the left side of that defense against the right tackle quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, he said he watched film, but you know that's that's a pretty obvious thing. He's a pretty static guy. They don't really move TJ around too much. So, but regardless, you know, he's going to find out one way or another whether he knows it now or will know it Monday night that he's going to see TJ Watt virtually every single snap. It's going to be a big focal point in this game because uh, Watt can uh, Watt can obviously they call him a game changer for a reason. He is, although again, not, not downplaying the impact, but he, you know, was great in week one, and it didn't seem to matter at all. But, but you know, hopefully, you would expect that if Watt has the kind of games that he had in week one, if that continues, then Pittsburgh will inevitably, you know, play some closer contests. You know, another interesting thing, and we we'll see uh, how much uh, Nick Herbig uh, plays in this game. But if you go back to that Wisconsin Ohio State uh, uh, matchup, uh, Jones handled Herbig pretty damn well in that game. Good point. Yeah, that's obviously a size disadvantage there, but you know sometimes those small guys uh, can can really get under those those taller tackles and walk and bend the edge extremely well. So it, it'll be a fun matchup, and we'll see again. I expect the Cleveland to do similar things to San Francisco. I know I was watching the the Bengals game, the all twenty two, and the tight end stayed in a lot, and Joku was doing a lot of pass protection in this one. So you know, I, I imagine they're not going to leave Jones by himself the entire game. Okay, we're on to Cleveland. On the Cleveland, and with that said, let's talk to our good friend here, Scott Petrak, who writes for the Chronicle Telegram and Medina Gazette, also brownzone.com, the zone coverage podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Petrak. That's P-E-T-R-A-K. We'll take a pause and come back with Scott. Okay, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. It is Friday. It is week two of the NFL season. It is Steelers versus Browns Monday night at Acrisure Stadium. And as usual, we have a uh, posing beat writer on, uh, someone who you should be very familiar with now. He's been on the Terrible Podcast several times talking about Scott Petrak. Uh, Scott covers the Browns for the Chronicle Telegram and Medina Gazette. 
As always, you can find a lot of, uh, really all of his written stuff at brownzone.com. He also has a podcast you can listen to as well, too, ahead uh, of that. So with that, it's been a little while. Scott, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Uh, let's start first. Uh, 1-0 Browns coming off of a very impressive win uh, over the Bengals in week one there. Uh <laughs> What's the what's the what's the feeling right now? I mean, for them to to dismantle uh, the Bengals what the way they did uh, there last week, and you know, in rainy conditions, but uh, uh, they obviously did a lot of things that they wanted to wanted to do, and really kind of the the uh, you know, what they like to do, their identity, which is run the football and play good defense. There, what's kind of the big overall picture of the Browns coming out of Week One? I mean, there's a lot of excitement, obviously. Um, you know, it, the feeling around here is that this team has a lot of talent. But that's been this feeling before, and it hasn't always shown up, right? right. Um, so I, I think there's an excitement. I think it's probably tempered a little bit. And if the Browns happen to win Monday night, it would go through the roof. Um, but, you know, you look at this roster, and they made a bunch of changes on defense, and they showed up in that opener against the Bengals, whether it's Jim Schwartz, his coordinator, it's they added Dalvin Tomlinson. They added Zedary Smith to get the hit on the first play of the game. They had, uh, you know, Obo Garanko who had a sack, just a lot to like from that defensive front and that pass rush. And that's what the hope was. And the expectation was that the defense would be much improved. And through one game, it certainly was. They did wonders against the Bengals. And then, you know, you mentioned the, you know, run, play, play good defense and run the ball. And, and they're going to do that. Um, I think the weather changed the game plan because they came out with three wides and looking to throw, and then nobody could complete a pass, and the quarterbacks were struggling to throw it on both sides of the ball. So then Stefanski went pretty hard run. Um, it's going to be interesting to see as the year goes on and even Monday night how they balance, you know, trying to throw it with Deshaun Watson, but yet you still have Nick Chubb in the backfield. Yeah, going back through that all 22 on the offensive reel last night, uh, you could tell whether really impacted. Uh, and I think Watson you know, kind of said as much in the, in the postgame because there were there were two home run balls to, uh, I think, Goodwin uh, yeah. that uh, uh, probably on a clear day, uh, Watson hits those with ease there. So, uh, But within that, I mean, they, they still ran that outside zone. I think, what, 12 runs of that? Uh, with uh, with with uh, with Chubb and and Ford and got like 53 yards and then just what all they do off of that being able to boot you know have success with that and boot Deshaun uh, off of that so yeah I, I think weather impacted that what was what's uh, been the biggest challenge I mean look we all you know uh, Jim Schwartz the defensive coordinator comes in over there we know a lot about him uh, uh, throughout time a very good defensive coordinator but what stuck out to you maybe the most in this first game about maybe some differences on a defensive side of football yeah I think there were three things and let's start up front because I think that was the biggest I don't know about the biggest key was the most obvious um he did a lot of different things and I'm working on a story about that right now just you know they went five D linemen sometimes they went um Miles at tackle and Zedary Smith to tackle when they were in passing situations pass rush situations they went a lot of blitzes. He blitzed more than I thought he would. His linebacker blitzes. He brought cornerback Denzel Ward once. He brought Grant Delpit to safety. 
and he got a hit on Burrow and forced an incompletion. So a lot of variety up front. Miles Garrett, you know, I think people have probably seen the clip going around social media where he does like his crossover dribble hesitation move as he walks up over the center. You know, it's not like Miles has never done that before, never been in front of the center or moved inside, but it felt a little bit more this time. Like four, um, so, four or five times, wasn't it? Right, right. And then there's more and there's more variety in general. So that stood out to me. I think Schwartz blitzed more than he has in the past. You know, he's kind of been up and down with that. And it depends what kind of corners he has. And that was the final point I wanted to make is that he trusts his corners, right? The trio of Ward, Newsom the second, and Emerson Jr. And if you got three corners you think can match up with Chase Higgins and Boyd then you can do a lot of stuff up front. So I, I think that bodes well. And they matched up well and shut down that Bengals offense. Scott, to go back to the offense, obviously I think the the focal points on Deshaun Watson in his first full year starting for Cleveland. How different does he look from the parts of last year to this year? And has he taken a true leadership role? I know he's been voted captain as virtually every quarterback is, but is he? do you feel like he's truly a leader of this offense in this team? Yeah, I, the leadership thing, I don't have really any questions about. Um, voted captain, you know, he did for the second straight year. He took guys to, you know, a resort in the offseason. He's working out with Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore and David Njoku and Dave, Donald Peoples-Jones, you know, away from the facility. So I feel that component is there. Um, on the field, you know, we've seen improvement. And, it, and Alex Van Pelt, the coordinator, talks about really kind of an OTAs and minicamp. You saw, you know, the light go on and Watson start to draw better and have a better understanding of what they were trying to do. And I think you saw that continuing to training camp in the preseason. But it's, you know, he, there's still inconsistencies. There's still ups and downs. And we saw that against the Bengals. Again, the weather was a factor. Um, but, you know, he holds on to the ball too long sometimes. and. Part of that's trying to create plays downfield, and he's a, you know, good at extending plays, right? Um, but that can lead to sacks. It can lead to negative plays. And, you know, I think the coaching staff, if it's open, they want you to throw it. If it's not open, then make something happen. And I think there's some plays where it is open, and he doesn't see it or chooses not to throw it. And, again, I think that's part of coming back from that long layoff. And he talked about that was the biggest thing last year. Uh, and I still think that's a work in progress. I think it's still reasonable to expect him to play better as the season goes on. But there were moments throughout the offseason, throughout preseason, throughout training camp, and even in that opener where you saw, you know, the Deshaun Watson you expect to see, right? He still throws it great. He's still accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's He still can make plays with his feet, right? It's just the maybe a little bit of the decision-making, a little bit of reading the offense. Um and the hope is that, you know, he continues to grow in those areas. And one of the weapons he'll have to throw to in this game is Elijah Moore, who I know you guys added this offseason over from the New York Jets. And I thought the way that Cleveland used him against Cincinnati was really interesting. I think the first snap of the game, he's in the backfield. He takes that run, cuts it back, gets 19 on it later in the game. Is the goal with Moore to really creatively move him around, or could that game plan sort of change week to week? Now, I think you're going to see that throughout the year. And that was one of the things we really saw in the preseason and training camp, especially. They use them in a bunch of ways. Slot, outside, running back, um, you know, option with Deshaun. Like, they tried to do a lot with him, and they think he can have a big impact. And he had a little bit of an impact in that Bengals game, right? There wasn't a whole lot of offense. 
you had that long run that you mentioned. He caught a deep pass um, that I think led to their touchdown at the end of the first half. Um, so there were a couple plays there. And I, I think there'll be games where there's a bunch of Elijah Moore. Right? And he makes a bunch of plays. And at least that's how it certainly trended during camp. Look, you watched him. And I knew that when the Browns traded for him, they really liked him. I knew that they thought he could have a big role. Right. But I don't know if even they envisioned it would be as diverse as it is. And that's certainly been pretty consistent throughout training camp. And and I think it's going to continue to be that way. Obviously, different, you know, for each game and the opponent and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's you're going to see him in a bunch of ways. And they hope that he has a giant impact. Now, we still need to see it. We still need to see, you know, he's a small guy. can he make the plays downfield, right? Can he run a go route, get behind somebody, and go up and make a play? Um, they haven't done that with him a lot, but they think he can do that. Uh, so, yeah, it, they certainly want to, and they need him because, you know, the offense lacked some explosion last year, and they need him. They're counting on him and Marquise Goodwin to provide some of that. The big storyline this week, uh, especially on offense, feels like it's Daywan Jones taking over at right tackle with, uh, unfortunately, uh, Conklin going down and going on IR. Sad injury there. Good player in Conklin. Uh, we know uh, quite a bit about Daywan Jones after kind of watching a lot of his tape going back to the senior bowl there and looking like the looking like the Steelers might have interest in him, at least initially there. Uh, how would you – I mean, th- this is – a t- tough first start to, for for Daywan Jones gets uh, TJ draws TJ Watt uh, in this game. How would you rate how Day Daywan Jones played uh, after taking over for Conklin in that game? And you know, I mean, they're obviously going to give him some help to some degree, but it's not like he can do it for sixty something snaps in the game. What do you, what do you think is you know? Then Daywan talked about he thinks that. Watt leaves his chest open and that Daywan's going to use his length and all like that. But what's your thoughts on this matchup and, and once again, how Jones played after taking over in that game? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to get any tougher, right? I mean, this is the toughest matchup he's going to have all season. I think that's fair to say, um, safe to say. Um, I thought he played fine after Conklin left the game. You know, he didn't give up a bunch of pressures. You know, I went and rewatched the game and focused on him. And I thought he was solid. You know, their question with him, well, first of all, he showed up in minicamp out of shape, told me he had, I think it was a dislocated toe that um, affected his working out in the offseason, you know, the draft process. Showed up out of shape. Um, I think it took a while for him to acclimate. I think the coaches took a while for, like, him to kind of get what they were talking about and wanting out of him. But then the turning point was really that first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game. They played him for every snap, all 74, and he showed that he could handle it, the conditioning. He played well. He's Obviously, his size and footwork are obvious. And then it just kind of continued to grow. And I tell you, though, it was a bit of a surprise that he was the guy that replaced Conklin. I mean, they have James Hudson III, who was picked in the fourth round two years previously. He had been the backup to Conklin the last couple of years when Conklin would get hurt. Um, and... You know, he's got more experience, yet it was Jones, the first guy out there. And I think that just shows how much progress he has made. Obviously, the potential he has. Um, they think they have something here. They think they have a hidden gem with the guy they got in the fourth round. So I, I think he's played well. They're, 
he needs to be better in the run game. Um, that's one of the things last time we talked to Bill Callahan, the line coach about him, that's, you know, it was, hey, it's been pretty good protection. We need to get better in the run game. And I think that remains true. You know, and obviously he's big enough and he moves well enough. It's probably, you know, it's, it's details in the run game, but I think there's a lot there now, you know, he's so big. Watt can bend so easily. I talked to Brian Baldinger of NFL Network about this matchup the other day. And, you know, he goes, those guys are give the tall guys the biggest problems, right? Those slippery guys that can bend and get to the ground and turn the corner. And that's obviously who T.J. Watt is. So it's going to be a difficult matchup. Um, you know, you're right. Baldinger thinks that they're going to trust DeWan Jones to start the game, give him some one-on-ones, maybe not on third down, but give him some one-on-ones in passing situations and see how he handles it and then see how much you need to help, right? Um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, you talk about matchups possibly wrecking the game and this is one of them right like the Browns could be the better team the Browns could play better but if TJ Watt gets you know three force fumbles three strip sacks that changes the game right or if he hits his arm and it turns into a pick six whatever it is so that's what if you're the Browns you just hope because you figure DeWan Jones is going to get beat you hope it doesn't turn into a game-changing play but there's a lot of reason to like this kid and it's because he's huge and he's got really good feet when you uh, look uh, at what the Browns did uh, defensively and then you flip over to see uh, the six plays on offense that or eight plays on offense, excuse me, uh, that the Steelers run <laughs> to run in their playbook uh, here in, 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 in week one here. Uh, and obviously the 49ers played a lot of zone in this game. Uh you know, kept, kept the lid on everything and then concentrated on stopping a run is, 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 does Jim Schwartz is he going to deserve a paycheck this week, or you know how, how do you envision them uh, defending this kind of lackluster? You know, look, yeah. har- hardly any explosive plays on offense, and uh, really the only thing, the only couple of things to get excited about was the Najee Harris explosive run uh, in you know late in the first half, and then an explosive extended play late in the game when the game was over. Right. I mean, I would expect him to put a bunch of guys on the line of scrimmage, try to stop the run and make Pickett beat them and make it Pickett try to beat those corners that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, if he plays, if he played as much man as he did against the Bengals, and again, the weather was a factor, but I don't think the Browns are going to have a tough, tougher matchup three receiver wise than the Bengals. So if he's going to play that much man against those guys, I don't know why he wouldn't do it against the Steelers. Right? It just feels to me like that's, the recipe is he's going to do it until somebody makes him, you know, not do it, right? And proves that, hey, you're getting beat this way. So I'd expect a good chunk of man. I'd expect a bunch of guys on a line of scrimmage. I think when it's a passing situation, they're going to get after Pickett. And that's Schwartz's philosophy in general is create a negative play. Because if you can get him, you know, if you can get him in second and 12 or second and 10 or third and whatever, right? It's really hard for the offense to convert. And then you can do a bunch of stuff with that pass rush. And you can go with your three ends package and you can blitz. You can do all this stuff. And so all you have to do is create that one negative play at some point, right? If you drop Harris for a two-yard loss on first down with the run blitz, okay, it's second and 12, go get picket. So um, I would expect a lot of aggression uh, in, you know, until the Steelers show that they can handle it and beat that. Scott, is there any 
weakness to this Browns defense or weaker area? I know it might be tougher to judge considering how dominant they were on Sunday. Is it the linebackers with Walker? Is it the safety situation? They've had some change there. Is Juan Thornhill going to play this week? Uh, what's kind of the layout on, on the linebackers and the safeties? Um, I, th- I think safeties are fine. Um, you know, Thornhill didn't practice yesterday. I mean, we were taping this on Friday, right? So he didn't play week one. You know, I would guess he doesn't play Monday night. It's too early to say that definitively. Um, but they have Rodney McLeod, who played well week one. He's well-versed in Jim Schwartz's defense. Uh, so I don't think there's a huge drop-off there, right, especially for a short period of time. Now, it it hurts how much three-safety stuff you can do. But they did – they like, I think the second play of the game last week, they went three safeties with undrafted Ohio State rookie Ronnie Hickman. It's the third safety. So mm. he's not afraid to do that. So – you know, I think their safeties are fine. Grant Delpit played a great game. Probably the best game he's played since he's been at the Browns in the opener. Um, linebacker has been a question mark all offseason. Walker's back from a torn quad he had a year ago against the Steelers. Uh, Sione Takitaki's back from a torn ACL. So those were a couple of question marks that have been answered. So as long as those guys are healthy, I think they have enough. You throw JOK into the mix, right? Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. And they don't play a lot of three linebackers. I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm watching the Steelers game. I didn't feel like they ran a tight, a ton of two tight ends. Um, if they do, then you'll see all three linebackers on the field. But if not, if it's nickel and three wides, you know, the Browns will go a lot of nickel, they'll go a lot of dime, which means you only need one or two linebackers out there. So I don't think that's a big weakness. The area of concern that remains a question mark, I think, would be the run defense. Just because Cincinnati didn't do it a lot, didn't try to run the ball a bunch. The Browns are terrible last year. And like I talked about Schwartz's attacking defense, I think that can you leave you vulnerable sometimes to some counters, some run things, you know, maybe a drop, you get everybody up the line of scrimmage, or, you know, heading forward and you slip underneath guys. So I, I think that's something that they still need to prove is that they can stand up to, you know, 30 runs a game, 25, 30 runs a game. Um, but their hope is that they never get in that situation, that they're leading early mm-hmm. and then they can go get the pass rusher. But I think that's still a little bit of an unknown. Right, and Pittsburgh hopes they can run the ball more than the nine times they did with the running backs here there in week one. My last question for you, Scott, and I'll let Dave finish things out. Mike Tomlin has a phrase that was pretty popular in the offseason called reasonable expectations. And I'd love to ask you, Scott, what are reasonable expectations for this Browns 2023 team? I know everybody feels really good coming off that great win over the Bengals. I mean, I assume you guys are probably thinking playoffs. You're thinking beyond that. What is a reasonable thought for where this Browns team can go this year? Yeah, I think playoffs is certainly reasonable. I mean, they you know they have the most cat or most cash spend in the league. Um, you know, they they're paying a bunch of guys a bunch of money, and they hired Schwartz. And I'm sure they're paying him a bunch of money, right? Like this team is built to go to the playoffs. Now you need your quarterback to play well. You need guys to stay healthy. You need the defense to make a big jump from last year because the defense, in my opinion, even without Watson for 11 games last year, the defense is what let down this team. So. It's off to a great start. So, yeah, the expectations are the playoffs. I don't know if there's a lot of people thinking that they're going to win the division, right? There's a lot of good competition. We know how good Cincinnati is. We know how good Baltimore is. Um, but, like, I picked them to go 10-7 and 7 and go to the wild and get a wild card spot. Like, that feels reasonable to me. Now, if they beat Pittsburgh and they beat Baltimore in week four, I think you're going to have to recalibrate your expectations <laughs> a little bit. Um but regardless of what happens Monday night, I think 
the Browns will be in the mix in the division and in the AFC from a playoff perspective. I think, you know, it's it's I, I can't make the leap of hey, they're the they're in the same class as Kansas City and Buffalo and Cincinnati, even though they just beat Cincinnati, but they've beaten Cincinnati six out of seven times. So I'm not ready to make that leap, but I believe they're built to be a playoff team. Yeah, I was going to play off of what, uh, or I was going to ask a similar question to what Alex had there. You know, what was your, and you already said what your pre preseason prediction was. And it doesn't feel like, if how shocked were you with the, I, I guess, coming out of that week one game, how, how has that swayed you any? And then on the flip side, where were you on the Steelers based on that preseason that they had? And where where are you on them after 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 one game? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the Browns would win the opener. I just thought it felt like it kind of set up that way. You know, it's at home. Burrow hadn't played. Um, you know, it's a bunch of factors. You know, I think the Browns had a bit of a surprise factor in Jim Schwartz. Um, so I, I felt like the Browns were going to win that game. I didn't think they would. I didn't think it would go the way it did. Right. Um, so it swayed me a little bit. I need. I want to see the Browns back it up against Pittsburgh before I get carried away. And I thought Nick Chubb made a great point. Hey, we won the opener last year, and then we lost the week two to the Jets, right? Now, it, this felt different. It felt more dominant. It felt more real. But you still need to see this team prove that it can string wins, prove that it doesn't get complacent or, you know, have the ups and downs um, that it's gone through in the past. So I, I'm still about the same place. But all of a sudden, you think to yourself, okay, if this defense is dominant, Maybe they don't need Watson to be as good as I thought they would need him to be, right? Like, maybe they can win games without him at peak performance, at least for a while, and that would allow them to win more games, you know, early in the season. So, I, you know, I'm open to readjusting. Um, now, for the Steelers, I mean, I still think they're fine. Like, I, I, I had them going about 9-8. and eight. Like, I thought all four teams in the division were going to have winning records. And I had the Steelers fourth, um, but I thought that they would be right in the mix. Now, and I watched that game, right, the Niners game, and obviously they didn't play well. But, it, like, I didn't think it was – it didn't change my opinion that might, the Steelers might turn out to be fine, right? I mean, Pickett didn't play great, but he still completed a bunch of passes. Um, the injuries are what is a bigger concern, I think, for the Steelers, especially Monday night. Um, like, you know, I, I think they'll figure it out. I think they have pieces on defense, like – you know, you know, obviously it's you, it's it's hard to start zero two. It's hard to you know get off to a bad start and recover. Um, but you know, I, when I watched that game, like I didn't think, oh my god, I know what the score was and I know how it played out, but I didn't walk away going, man, the Steelers have nothing. They're terrible. Like that wasn't my reaction. So I fully expect the Steelers to play much better Monday night. Um, you know, play with the motion and the crowd and all that stuff. I just don't know if like I think the Browns are more talented than the Steelers overall. Um, I, I certainly think the game could the Steelers could win the game. I think there's a bunch of ways you can have that happen. Um, but you know, not having Deontay Johnson, not having Kim Hayward, like I think those are significant when you know the Browns are playing well and the Steelers are you know through one game have not played well. All right, so you're telling me you're you're probably going to be a trend buster this week. You know all the numbers. 20 and 0 for the Steelers on Monday Night Football in their last 20. The Browns are 0 and 19 against the Steelers in their last 19 regular season games. You have to go back to 1952, the last time the Steelers started 
0-2 at home in their first two games of the season. What else is there? This is the first time in a long time that the Browns have the opportunity to start 2-0, I think, in the season. Uh, The trends uh, are the trends, though. They're history. What you got uh, for a final score on on, on Monday night, Scott? Yeah, first of all, I'm going to steal that 1952 set. So it's 1952, the last time they lost their first two home games? Uh, 1952 was the last time that this team went 2-0 and with their first two games at home. And the second okay. and the second loss that season was to the Browns. <laughs> okay, that's a good step. Um, yeah, yeah, I picked, I, I, I did my podcast Tuesday and it's early to do it. And I picked the Browns 24-20 and... I just don't know if I've seen anything that's going to make me change that pick. Um, I could certainly see the Browns losing, but I feel like, like I said, I feel like they're the more talented team, and I feel like things are there's things in place that would help them get the win, like the injuries and just the, the momentum from week one and all that. So um, I, I'm keeping my, you know, I don't make my final prediction until the day before the game. But right now, I'm still thinking the Browns win a football. All right. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners who probably haven't heard you before? Could, can't be many of them. But uh, what <laughs> you got? What you got going on over at Brown Zone and on the podcast? Yeah. So podcast, we recap the Bengals game and then we look ahead to the Steelers game. Um, that's Zone Coverage podcast. You can find it on BrownZone.com or on any of the you know Apple Play that kind of thing. Um, and then today I'm working on a story just about the defense we talked about and the multiple looks and how confusing that can be for the offense. And I'll have a story about the DeWan Jones-TJ Watt matchup and how important that is. Um, we talked to Jones yesterday. I talked to one of his Ohio State teammates. Um, so that's what I got. That's what I know for sure. And then I'll have some kind of you know game preview as we get closer. And obviously everybody can follow Scott on X slash Twitter at Scott. Petrak. That's P-E-T-R-A-K. Scott, thanks for coming in uh, again on the Terrible Podcast with Alex and Dave, and we'll catch up with you uh, later on in the season when these two teams meet again. Thanks, Scott. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Scott Petrak, who you can and should follow on Twitter at Scott Petrak. That's P-E-T-R-A-K. Writer for the Chronicle Telegram, Medina Gazette, brownzone.com check him out shout him out on twitter as you guys did uh, for grant Cohn last week and let him know that you heard him on the podcast and thank him for his time dave as always great stuff with scott certainly is and uh, everybody should be thinking right now what would margie do um (laughs) margie (laughs) yeah long time listener of the show very good about uh uh, jumping out on twitter and 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 thanking these beat writers for coming on the show because uh look they take 20 30 some you know minutes sometimes a little bit longer to sit in uh with us and for them to get shout outs and know that they're heard uh on twitter or facebook or or you know whatever means you can shout them out it's great appreciated and it and it lets those uh, let lets those uh guests that we have on uh know that it's uh, worth their time to come on yeah and we see your comments on twitter when you guys tag them and tag the show so we really appreciate that it does mean a lot to us. so we, uh, we thank you for it in advance and for your continued support of the podcast and those who join us on the show all right dave we will save our browns preview and picks for monday considering the monday night game we're gonna have something to talk about for uh, for that episode but let's go ahead and before we make our week two picks, hear from our friends over at my bookie. 
Absolutely. And you caught me with my pants down there. Let's see here. Well, I, I'll fill in. We, we pushed. So we tied it was the, the plus six with the, the Thursday night game last yeah, night. Yeah. Yeah. We were on up and I started off. I, you, you wanted the Eagles minus mm-hmm. six. I jumped on board with you and about, I don't know, 45 minutes of, uh, before the game. Uh, I, I was looking you, at you got a hot stuff. tip. Yeah, I thought I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, I switched over to the Vikings plus six and uh, the Vikings sure did uh, literally give that game away in several aspects uh, overall with the turnovers and all. And uh, they ended up uh, making it close and crawling back uh, and, and ending the game down six. So we both pushed on that game. Speaking of my bookie, Alex has a better you demand perfection and my bookie delivers NFL college football and a brand new cash out system. Give you options to bet and win all season long. The first two legs of your parlay hit for you cash out early and use the funds on another bet or let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday with that parlay. Join the my bookie family for an entire season filled with odds boost free bets, and super contests. This season, uh, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code TERRIBLE. That's promo code TERRIBLE at sign-up on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount once and you're ready to cash out at any time. Again, that's promo code TERRIBLE to claim your cash deposit bonus. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. And to get there, go to MyBookie.ag. And once again, the first time there, signing up, use promo code TERRIBLE to take advantage of this offer. And we thank my bookie for their support of the terrible podcast. All right, Dave, let's make our picks for the rest of week number two. All right, let's do it. And my bookie, let's start with uh, Baltimore at Cincinnati, where Cincinnati coming off that uh, smarting from the Browns are three point home favorites against the Ravens. You know, I picked the Ravens to win the North this year. I know the Bengals are coming off just their most miserable game, but I think they bounce back in a big way. Better weather, Burrow shaking off that rust, the Ravens corner, secondary. They're as as typical, Baltimore dealing with injury. Shocker. I'm gonna go with Cincinnati in this one. I'll take the Bengals to bounce back as well, too. I'll lay the three points with you. Kansas City on the road against Jacksonville. This should be a fun one. Mm. Uh Jaguars at home. Uh uh plus three and a half. Yeah, I assume Kelsey's going to be back in this one, and that's going to be so key for those Chiefs, and they're trying to to figure things out on their end. Chris Jones, too. Yeah, oh, good point. Yeah, that contract, what's with these guys taking these weird incentives? They hold out for a long, long time, rack up the fines Jones did just to get potential incentives? What's the deal with that contract? Yeah, just want to get on the field, get one season, you know, uh, get get, get another year's pay, and then try, try, try to address it again after the season. I'm, I'm going to go KC. They're going to bounce back. I will as well, too. I'll take KC and the bounce back later three and a half points. Seattle Seahawks at the D- Detroit Lions, the gritty Detroit Lions. Lions laying four and a half. Yeah, give me the Lions home. in this one. Yeah, give me Detroit. Uh, that run game, you know, the way they use what Montgomery and Gibbs and that defensive line, they just play hard. So give me, give me Detroit. Uh, I'll buy it along with you there. I'll lock, lock and step here. I'll lay the four and a half Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. I won't be watching this one. Mm-hmm. Texans laying one at home against the Colts. 
the battle of the rookie quarterbacks, Richardson versus Stroud. Richardson was really impressive. The stats may not be super gaudy, but you look at some of the tape and some of the kind of high-level NFL throws that he made. Give me the Colts. I'll take the Colts plus one on the road as well, too. Chicago Bears at Tampa Bay. What about the Chase Claypool situation? He could be inactive uh, for this game. Uh, Buccaneers at home against the Bears. Buccaneers laying two and a half. It's the way I'm making myself feel better right now. At least there's the Claypool trade. See how long I can can ride that uh, that bus for. Um, yeah, this one. I mean, Tampa Bay. Credit to them. They're, they're hanging tough. What what's the line again? Two and a half. Buccaneers at home laying it. Yeah, I'm gonna go Chicago. Just a gut feeling. Man, you got my sheet here. Uh, I will take uh, the okay. Bears plus two and a half. As well, I think they can win this outright. Raiders at the Bills. Bills laying eight and a half after losing on a walk-off punt return to the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. Bills laying eight and a half against the Raiders. Yeah, it's a pretty big line overall. I mean, Josh Allen, I just don't expect to have all the picks that he did. He's going to bounce back. It's really a bounce back week for those week one teams that you thought would come out stronger, like the Bengals, Chiefs, and Bills. So give give me Buffalo. I'll take the Bills to win this, but I think the Raiders cover that eight and a half. So I'll take the Raiders okay. eight plus eight and a half. Chargers on the road against the Titans. Uh, Titans plus three at home. Ooh, I was surprised by that line overall. Uh, I think just too much fire firepower for the Chargers. They just ran into you know two in that great Dolphins passing attack. So give me the Chargers. I'll take the Chargers to cover that three on the road as well, too. Packers on the road against the Falcons. The Falcons laying one and a half points at home. Are they for real? They're just, they're kind of like the Titans. They're just this, you know, grinded. I mean, because they're obviously what Arthur Smith is from Tennessee, uh, the OC there formerly. So they're just this gritty, but they just have the pedestal pass game in Atlanta. I mean, Desmond Ritter had like what, one yard at one point early in that game. Um, give me the Packers. I'll buy the Falcons one more week to see if they're real. I'll lay the point in half. 49ers on the road against the Rams. This could get ugly. Uh, Rams plus seven at home against the 49ers. Didn't the Rams hold their own in week one, though? I mean, they well, they didn't they win, right? Oh, yeah, yeah they, they destroyed Seattle without Cooper Cup. And, of course, uh, Cup's still out in this game. What's the line again on this one? Seven. Plus yeah, seven. Pretty, pretty big line overall. But just seeing how good San Francisco is against that Rams defense, I don't think it's that legitimate. Give me the 49ers. I'll take the 49ers late a seven as well, too. Giants on the road against the Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals plus four at home. Yeah, I know the Giants just the worst week one you could envision somehow even worse than Pittsburgh, but I'm kind of on the bounce back train for week one. That'll continue. I'm, I'm going to take the giants. I'll take the giants late a four on the road as well too. Washington commanders at the Broncos Broncos laying three and a half. You know, Russell Wilson did look better. I, I'm not sure what that Sean Payton effect is going to be long-term. I know they didn't get the win in this one, but he certainly was better. Jerry Judy's going to probably return in this one. Give me the Broncos. I'll take the commanders in an upset, so I want those three and a half points. Uh, Jets on the road against the Cowboys. Cowboys laying nine. Yeah, dude, that Cowboys pass rush just eaten and no Rodgers and the O-line still questionable. I know it's a big line, but give me Dallas, man. I'll take Dallas to lay those nine points as well, too. Miami on the road against the Patriots. The Patriots are underdogs, plus three. Yeah, just that passing attack for Miami. Really impressive overall with a healthy two. I'll watch out for Miami. Give me the Dolphins. I'll take the Dolphins later three against the Patriots as well. Saints on the road against the Carolina Panthers. Panthers plus three at home. Who's the underdog here? 
Uh, the underdog is the Panthers at home, Panthers. plus three. I got to pick a dog at some point. Give me Carolina. I'll take the Saints, lay that three. And that's uh, the other Monday night game with the Browns and Steelers. Uh, we will pick that on the uh, Monday podcast. All right, sounds good. Dave, let's get to a couple of reader, e- reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let me pull that up here real quick here in the email machine. We have uh, Bryce uh, says he'll be at the game Monday night. Hope this team shows up. Add in the wacky opening statements from Matt Canada, and this guy is really a mess. Having said that, Alex, we've talked about it before, and I want to see more pistol this week. He says, from your time at camp, what two or three run concepts do you think this team needs to focus on this week and execute based on the personnel that we have? And number two question was, even though Cam is out, could we actually use uh, more uh, 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 four-man line fronts this week to get 95 and Braden Fajoko on the field uh, for more run support yeah to answer both i mean you know, they ran a bit of pistol um but regardless of whether it's pistol or i form or shotgun in terms of the run i mean ages run the ball some this week so game script just has to be in a position where you can run the ball but probably inside zone and just kind of their duo man blocking scheme are kind of the core things they have run somewhere outside zone as well bit of the toss game but i think you know bread and butter of most teams including pittsburgh is inside zone and just you know duo uh, man scheme. And then, yeah, I mean, they ran some four man fronts against the 49ers. They had some, uh, how many times did they do that? It was, it was several times. So, um, given, you know, the, the maybe heavier nature of, of Cleveland's, uh, game, although I think Scott made good points, they do want to pass the ball more and the weather conditions would probably be more conducive to doing that. So we'll see, but Pittsburgh actually had in part of their game plan was to, to run four man fronts against the, uh, 49ers. And as we uh, said earlier in the show, it'll be interesting to see if Fahoko gets the elevation. Do you think he will? That's been my thought. Um, I mean, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, they don't have to do it, but I just think, you know, when you lose Cam and, and your run defense is a question, you probably want to have a good run plugger out there. I know he's only going to be a run plugger and not going to offer anything else beyond that. Not a sub-package guy, not a pass rusher, just a pure, you know, zero one-tech stuffer. But I think you're going to want that in this game. All right, uh, Cosmo in here from L.A. Curious if you guys checked out Prime Vision on Thursday Night Football. It gives you the old all-22 view, and uh, it draws wide receiver routes live. Yeah, look, uh, I know Alex doesn't. Did they have that on the uh, Twitch uh, uh, stream? They did. did. You? Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I don't know if they had the uh, whatever he's talking about. I just know they aired it on the game on Twitch. Okay, so, uh, but, uh, uh you know, if you have Amazon Prime, you can choose the different uh, views to watch. And one of them is an all 22 view with the uh, next gen stats uh, added in there. And that, I mean, it, it absolutely is fantastic. That's that's the future. I think at some point uh, in the very near future, that will be offered with whatever, with every game that you watch on a network. But uh, absolutely, I saw it. And, and I, you know, I love watching uh, uh, games through the all 22 view live. Uh, Seth writes in, Hey guys, this offense is coached so, so poorly, so uninspired to me. It's hard not to feel like they are the, uh, Jeff Fisher Rams and, Mm. uh, just desperately need, uh, their McVeigh to open things up. Uh, he, uh, he can't, he says he can't last the season. Uh, look, I, I get in and, and, and it's going to, the screams are going to get loud. And in fact, if they don't score like, oh, I forget, I have it somewhere here. 
16 or 17 points on offense in this game, then you're going to have a very juicy uh, stats of the weird uh, going back mm. several years to total points scored by uh, this team on offense through the first two weeks of a season uh, here as well, too. So, I mean, look, uh, history can be changed, but history also right now says that this team will stick with Matt Canada uh, for, for, for the season here, but we've, we've, we beat on this offense already one week into the season quite a bit. Uh, what do you think about the Jeff Fisher comparison? Hurts my soul a little bit. Um, I understand the general vibe that he's getting at there. Again, it's week one. I mean, I think week one can be weird. I I'm not, you know, personally, I'm making, not making a pick here. I'm not feeling very confident going into week two, given the circumstances Pittsburgh finds themselves in right now. It's a tough Browns team with all those injuries, but Let's just let's give it another week. Let's give it through Monday before we start uh, tearing this whole thing down. All right. Dustin Rush writes in. David, I hope all is well. I saw the news about the team bringing uh, Brad Wing in. Gross, he says. Corliss Waitman is on the Patriots practice squad. The team wanted him back. They they couldn't work him out before signing him to the 53. Could they? He says, I, I'd certainly take him over wing. First and foremost, no, you cannot work out a player on another team's practice squad. Uh, that that answers that. And uh, Dustin, what'd you think about the conversation earlier in this podcast about maybe why Brad Wing specifically was brought in? I think that's a very good observation by our own Joe Clark. And because he'd be in left-footed and this team facing a left-footed uh, kicker, it was probably less about now, look, without a doubt, uh, the leash is probably going to get shorter and shorter when it comes to Presley Harvin the third. Uh, they're not married. You know, uh, if he puts together a couple more performances like he had in week one, he could be out the door. Probably not a Brad Wing, but uh, I think there's a good reason why Brad Wing in particular was brought in. I still want to know why. Is he punting in, in another league right now? He hasn't punted in the NFL since I just looked it up. Twenty seventeen. Is he in the USFL or one of those? He, he is, just, I guess, right now. He was uh, with XFL. Uh, what with San Antonio, right? Yeah, you're right. I was wondering what the story was there, so I was just trying to just figure out where he had been. So yeah, okay, that makes sense. To he's, he's punted it, recently. And here's another thing: is he still? Does he still live in Pittsburgh? I don't know. He might. I mean, he was with San Antonio, so he probably had something down there, but I don't know where he lives, you know, during the off season. Um, because so that makes it area. Yeah. Yeah. Probably makes it easier to call him up and say, Hey, can you get over here this afternoon? Yeah. Right. Right. So that, again, and I think because again, it was on a Thursday where the team is practicing. If, if they bring punters in on a Tuesday where it's the off day, then it's like, okay, that's probably Harvard alert. And Harvard certainly has to be better. But I think that that's a logical explanation for why wing and why yesterday. All right, I think I got through all of them, uh, at least what we have here in the uh, new in the email machine. So uh, I think we put how how long we run here, Alex, today with everything? Oh, I don't know, 75 minutes or so. Should be good enough for you guys to end of the weekend. All right, something to chew on there. And uh, let's see, Alex, you already kind of identified what your terrible take is this afternoon. Uh, we will be back on Monday. We'll get, boy, what do you think about that outside zone <laughs> that, that the Browns run? We'll be talking about, uh, that some other things that the Browns do on defense, a full, uh, preview our preview of, uh, Browns versus Steelers on the Monday morning, terrible podcast. So in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steelers Depot, follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora, follow the show at terrible podcast, email the show, the terrible podcast at gmail.com. 
If you like what we do, want to donate, go to SteedersDepot.com, hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com, hit the ad-free button up right navigational bar. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for reading the site, listening to the podcast, interacting on YouTube, or however you interact with us. We certainly do appreciate it. And until Monday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. 